0: Hello, everyone. I am back. I don't know why I'm back and I don't know for how long, but but I wanted to say hi and uh, have a little chit-chat with myself and tell you a few things about my life and uh, what's been going on recently because I have currently one week vacation and I'm trying to enjoy it somehow, but um, I can't. I, am, uh, I, I got some heavy bills to pay. Um, I had to get my car fixed up and ready for winter, which means I got a new set of tires, winter tires, and uh, I made a, a, you know, a slight scratch in the outside. Um, uh, I think you could say the, um, the right side of the car, my doors, have been scratched because I did a pretty clumsy maneuver on the street trying to evade another, um, another vehicle. And that, unfortunately, didn't really work. I didn't uh, trash my car too much, but I can't leave it like that, so I had to get that repaired. New paint job and all that kind of crap. Which is kind of uh, unsettling because the car is brand new. I just bought it this year. And because of my clumsiness and my inability to actually react accordingly on the street, I had to pay some something extra to get that car at least shiny again and uh, looking good. I think it's still worth it though, because you know I don't want my car to suffer more than it has to. It's always this this interesting thing with uh, with with cars and people obsessed about their cars. I think in Germany, in I, I gotta say, just as a side note, I. I haven't seen anyone being more obsessed about their cars than Germans. I mean, I've been in Asia quite a lot, and I've been in Japan once. Um, I know that these people, uh, the Japanese for, first and foremost, they love their cars. Taiwanese people, just the same. But this this kind of caretaking and showing off to other people is more important in Germany by believing that the only good cars in the world are made from BMW, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, and, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe Volvo. I'm saying maybe because I have no clue about those cars. And I don't know how long it's going to take until one of these companies is going to disappear from the market because of whatever circumstance or... Uh, a revolution in car technology and somebody's being, you know, asleep on the job or on the desk and not really realizing the potential of new technology. That could happen one fine day, maybe not with the electric cars, but that's still pretty much in their baby steps. I'm not convinced by the by the the, the current development of of batteries and stuff like that and charging methods. Recently I've just been in a bigger town uh, watching the movie Dune. And uh, we were parking, you know, I, I took a friend of mine with me, or no, she took me actually and then banged me afterwards. <laughs> um, we, we watched the movie. The movie is great, by the way. You have to check it out. Then we came back uh, passing two streets and all we saw actually was we were parking in front of or inside of a shopping mall system with, you know, its, it's own uh, parking space and all that kind of stuff, a parking garage. And in front of the main building, there was we only found a handful of car chargers, parking lots for electric cars, just a handful. For what? You know I mean, does that really matter that much right now? To, to somebody? I mean, the only people parking there were the ones with massive cash in their pockets. <laughs> we're talking about brand new Audis and BMWs, of course. And I think one car was even Mercedes, and the other one, the other one was Volkswagen, which is kind of funny to me. But okay, I'm not a fan of German cars. I re- I'm really not. Too expensive for what they offer, and all they really do is elevate the so-called imaginary, the imaginary status of, of of a person. You know, it, it doesn't matter. And that's where I really have to draw the line. I think the Germans really are completely nuts when it comes to their cars. And what these fucking things mean to them. You know, I mean, I've met Americans and they, they use their car for what it's made for. For transportation. It's a tool. It has to get you from one point to another, if anything at all, safely, of course. And it has to be able to transport shit, get you through the day. Through snow and maybe ice and, and the rest is just, you know, bullshit. But most Germans treat their car like it's their, their child. I've been on vacation in Italy when I was 20. I was uh, together with uh, my first real relationship at the time. Um, It was her idea to go to a camping trip in Italy. So we stayed there. And right across from our camping site was another German dude with his... I think it was a BMW. I'm not sure what kind of model. I don't give a fuck. But it was a BMW. And all this guy really did during his vacation, and I shit you not, he was getting a bucket of water with soap and a huge sponge and was cleaning his car every single day during his vacation. Every fuck day. Imagine that. Imagine what that means. And how far somebody would go to actually uh, waste all their their time and energy on vacation just to clean their fucking car. And he was really obsessed. And he wasn't even uh, distracted by anything. He didn't care much about his wife. And she was sitting in her chair reading a book. What else was she going to do? You know, this guy was not really paying attention to her. But paying attention to the wheels and the windshield and... And the beautiful metallic look of his car, that's just, that's fucking insane. And that showed me a, a good deal. I mean, I'm, I've seen many people, you know, treating their cars like, um, like I said, like a child, like the biggest achievement of their, of, of their fucking lives. I've also met people coming from Russia. Uh, moving over to Germany to have a better life. you know, Either they had a family or they were starting a family. They had, because of heritage and all that, a connection to German history. So uh, moving to Germany is in some parts for some people from Russia easier than some might expect at first. I think it was done during the 90s when that, that law, that rule kind of, kind of uh, started existing. It has something to do with the fact that during the Second World War, um, a lot of people had, who actually should or were the Germans with uh, German descendants and, and heritage went to Russia for several reasons, either because we lost the war or because they wanted to stay there or were stationed there, some kind of stuff like that. I don't know. Many different reasons why. And there's even in Russia somewhere a village where they all speak German, which is kind of astonishing, because I don't understand one fucking word. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be German. It's a very interesting slang and dialect of German. But um, I'm, I, I'm unable to find that place. I'm not quite sure where it is. I only met one person in my life who came from that village, from that town. And... Um, it was astonishing listening to him talk. He was a nice guy, and you know, I, I tried to have a normal conversation with him, and it was almost impossible for me to make out one one sentence. Even even another friend of mine who was actually Russian, same name as me. Uh, he he tried to talk to him in Russian, and told me afterwards, even I can't fucking understand him. So that was kind of cool, you know, a bit of, a little weird and not really logical for most of us, but you know that's one of these things in life. So, um, some of these people manage to get back here from, from Russia to, to Germany. They get their, you know, papers renewed and all that kind of stuff. Start, um, creating a family or like I said, they come with their family here, get a job, have a better life, build a house and in, in lots of cases. Uh, just, they want to have their own home and freedom, of course. And, uh, some of these people were so focused on driving a Mercedes-Benz that they saved all the money they could get to buy a brand new car and let the family rot with old clothes and old furniture. They didn't give a fuck what, what the family was going through, but the car had to be there. <laughs> that was, that's insane. <laughs> I'm not sure why it's like that. But they have, uh, not all of them, of course, but some do, actually. And the results are always very extreme in in, in the same way, that um, their focus on on the German car is gigantically high, that it's really a a matter of status in their own opinion and their imagination, that you're only a man if you have a Mercedes, which is nuts, really, but okay. Okay. You know, to each their own, I guess. Well, anyway, that's the story about my car. Um, my car is doing fine right now. Um, while I'm, I try to enjoy this this vacation. And while I started this vacation, I shit you not, the first day I was I was sitting or lying in my bed watching a movie. And the phone rang. And there was an old client of mine, somebody I used to work for creating illustrations and graphics for websites or, uh, you know, greeting cards, stuff like that. Not really advertisement, but basically for her own existence and uh, self-employed business. And we've been talking for over 10 years, uh, quite a nice woman. And um, every now and then when she has um, an idea or or something like that, she always Hits me up and uh, you know gives me a call or writes me an email, orders some stuff from me and uh, because of the time I had you know I, I cannot say no to somebody like that who supports me and comes back to my to my business to what I offer time and time again just to you know first of all to stay in contact second of all second of all she trusts my instincts and. What I do, and to be honest, what I do is not really that big in in, in this example in particular, it's just I create a very small, primitive, minimalistic uh, illustrations to underline certain topics that she's talking about in a presentation to get more more customers and stuff like that. and she likes my style and what what i what I can do to you know visualize her ideas, I guess that's it. Um, I have all graphics ready. I, it took me three days to get through through most of the stuff, basically because uh, she often changes her mind, and when she sees the final result, you know, most customers do that. They always say like, "Oh, okay, I I think I think I reconsider. This is not what I expected. I'm going to change my mind. I want this and that instead." So that's normal, you know. You have to talk about these kind of projects, and you're never really on the same page unless. Both sides see the visual aspect of of the product, then you can always decide if this is really uh, giving you green light if this idea is good and can be used or not. So um, I'm lucky that we get through this after three days, uh, which is you know kind of good for me because I need the money <laughs> to pay my car and uh, stuff like that. So um, then of course, I still have. A friend of mine in Switzerland he wants some more illustrations that will be a bit bigger and more cartoony and colorful. I might show you those when i'm when I'm done and I was waiting with this. I might start today because we it's already Thursday, and I don't have that much time anymore. Um, I'm still looking forward to purchasing that uh, affinity software that I was maybe talking about. I'm not sure. Because I'd like to go away from Photoshop. It's, um, Photoshop is too expensive. For what I do, for what I want to do in the future, Photoshop is not really all that interesting anymore. I mean, it used to be. I'm not saying that Photoshop is bad or anything. Uh, it's, it's just for the value of the software, the money you put into a monthly subscription and the software package that you chose. I mean, you, you don't get everything from paying 50 bucks. You you get just a portion of the software that you probably need, the software you're interested in. And first and foremost, I think most people are interested in Photoshop and Illustrator. And then comes everything else like Lightroom and then Adobe Premiere and, and whatnot and these cartoon uh, animation thingies that you can also get from them. They have good software, that's true, but Uh, Affinity is more promising to me personally, because first of all, it's been heavily, heavily optimized, uh, as far as I know, and it's been also optimized for the newest um, Apple chip generations like the, the M1, for example, which I am using. So I'm looking forward to that. But I'm a little, you know, uh, I I don't want to spend all that money right now for all sorts of stuff. You know, after paying for the car, I still gotta pay other stuff too. And uh, if if I was rich, I wouldn't be sitting here and doing this. I'd be living in in Spain in my villa and just work there. Maybe that comes one day. I don't know. I still have to still have to focus on other things as well, like my studies. I still have to send in one of my short stories that I created, and, um, yeah, it goes on from there. So that, that is something I need to finish to uh, till the end of the week, I think, and then start a new book for, for uh, you know, next lectures, all that stuff. It's just, it, I'm always busy, I'm always doing something. I try to do something fun in between, like riding my bike or actually playing a fucking game, which is not something I do that often these days. But it's fun, you know, getting back to Counter-Strike and just shooting the piss out of some poor schmuck. It's always enjoyable. But what I am looking forward to, and I think that's the main reason why I wanted to do this podcast today, not just to give you some boring update to whatever the fuck I'm doing, but um, I am looking forward really, really strongly towards, towards the new, finally, real sequel to Ghostbusters. And yeah, it's been a wild ride, man. I mean, basically, uh, we never got anything substantial from, from Ghostbusters because Bill Murray was not really convinced to join the cast again and get back on stage with, um, or in front of the camera, let's say, and with the jumpsuit and the proton pack. And I understand why. I mean, he did get a lot of shit because of it. You know, angry fans going like, hey, we want to see Ghostbusters. Yeah, of course. We all wanted to see the Ghostbusters. I love that shit. It is really my absolute favorite film. I'm not just, I'm not kidding to find appeal by some Ghostbuster fan who might by chance be listening to me, but um, it really is. I grew up with this stuff. And... Like I said once uh, before, in case you've never heard one of my podcasts and you're uh, tuning in for the first time, I was born in Germany, but I grew up uh, for six years in Canada. And in that time, during the 80s, best time of my life, really, um, I discovered so many cool things. First of all, Peter Gabriel, (laughs) Um, many other cool artists from the 80s who actually did make a musical uh, impact in a very artistic way. And then, of course, the movies, the Saturday morning cartoons, the toy lines, Halloween, even Christmas was interesting, and not so much anymore today. I don't celebrate Christmas at all. I just don't care. I mean, if you if you need that shit, it's fine. I just I never had any connection to it when I started to to grow a bit older, like in my teenage years, and when when I was a kid, and back in Canada, Christmas was everything, right? You were looking forward to the latest toys or to whatever bullshit that your mom thought you had to, to wear that year. And my mom always gave me, like, socks and a scarf and uh, underwear. Every year, underwear. I'm not kidding. To birthday and to, to Christmas. I always got underpants. I don't know why. And not just like luxury underpants, like really cool, smooth, well-sitting underpants. No, the cheapest shit that you could buy in some fucking grocery store in a basket that said um, uh, bargain price, like two bucks a pair or whatever. You know, that's that's the kind of shit I got for Christmas, and I don't know why. Uh, uh, Yeah, well, that's just my mom. She was um, a real grouch that woman, the real, Oh, sorry about that, sorry, that was, I had some, some, um, some candy here, some sweet candy, tastes good, just sugar, well anyway, back in the day, when I saw Ghostbusters for the first time, I was amazed really. Because um, my, my dad was a bit concerned. He was, um, he's very traditional in a sense that he doesn't know if his child can actually take a movie like that. Because I had, I had vast nightmares. Not because of Ghostbusters. I never had nightmares because of that movie. It was just, um, for some reason, my imagination went through with me. You know, just uh, took control and when I, I even had the worst nightmares when I saw one of these cheesy 80s uh, Doctor Who episodes. I, I don't even know what the fuck that was what I saw. But it freaked me out so much that I had massive nightmares because of that show. Looking back at it, you know, the show is like complete garbage. I don't like Doctor Who that much. But I thought it was pretty cool back then basically because of the awesome soundtrack. The theme was just tremendously well-written. That's that's a composed masterpiece in any uh, electronic form you can imagine. But the show itself, you know, you had probably some good seasons and some bad ones. I think the recent season was probably one of the worst, as far as I I know. And uh, I'd like to see David Tennant as Doctor Who. I think I totally missed that season. It could be fun. I love that guy, he's a thing, for me personally, the greatest British actor ever, ever lived, but that's a different story. Well, like I said back in the day, when I saw Ghostbusters, I was very amazed by that, uh, those four guys standing together against some evil demon-like creature that was sending just masses massive amount of, of, um, of ghosts in, in our world, and looking to seek out to destroy humanity as usual, you know, uh, the same cheesy stuff. But the the chemistry between all four guys was just beautiful to watch. And it felt natural. It didn't feel like it was um, artificial. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel um, fake in any way. It was very authentic because of the way they talked to each other, the, the, the dry, flat humor... Um, just this this day-in, day-out, buddy-like behavior. It's just really, that was for me friendship. You know, that was, for me personally, the perfect example of how friends should should treat each other and, and like stick together in the, even the worst of times. You can always, you know, have fun with each other and do bullshit and stuff like that, but, you know, just fuck each other up or make some stupid jokes and all that, pull your leg... But when it comes, you know, at the end of the day, you stick together, you you just you face whatever obstacles in your way and you work at it. And that worked really well for me. And the atmosphere in that movie, the theme, the 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 setting, New York in and of itself was just um that, that movie is a beautiful masterpiece, at least to me. And I fell in love with the Ghostbusters even more so when I saw the cartoon because first of all considering my age back then um that was exactly what I wanted I didn't even know that I wanted it until I saw it and then I knew I wanted it you know and uh, even the toy line at least the first generation was almost very accurate to what the cartoon was 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 depicting and showing which was a very uh, w- was absolute delight for for most of us, because we could really identify with the material, and the toys were just very accurate and looked just like the dudes on on TV. And it was a real blast to just play with it, you know, and talk to your friends at school about it. And look, Of course, we had other stuff too, like G.I. Joe and Transformers and whatnot. I think I even had a figure of uh, Thundercats at one point, and then um, I think Dorgon, if that rings a bell, I think that was this, this fly, human, alien thingy guy. Um, some stuff from Star Wars, but I never really cared much about that. And some wrestling figures, um, and of course, Masters of the Universe, I had a lot of that. But basically, what really, really touched my heart the most, I gotta say, is really Ghostbusters. That was the one thing that I was thinking about day in day out, because I had a soft spot for the paranormal, even as a kid. and when I saw that show, I thought to myself, "You know maybe just maybe creatures like that in a different universe could actually exist and then come into our world and or you know because of some reason, some unknown physical phenomenon that we cannot explain yet. And we believe we see ghosts, but in truth, they're just, you know, different kind of, of entities roaming the earth. And I don't know, looking for peace, looking for food or a cup of coffee, who knows? But if shit hits the fan, you know, who are you are going to call? And you call Bill Murray and the gang. And uh, I think the cartoon fleshed out the characters the most. First of all, you know, they made many seasons. I think seven seasons of of the cartoon, in which the first three or four were actually really rock-solid good. Um, Some great writing there, and uh, even adults could watch it and have a blast, because, you know, it it wasn't estranged. It wasn't, like I said, even with the movie, uh, or compared to the movie, it wasn't really uh, all that fake. It was a cartoon, yeah, sure. But you could identify with what was going on. You could identify with the characters. The story was believable in, in lots of cases. They had interesting Christmas episodes. They had um, interesting episodes where, you know, the, the, the morale of a human being was in question, uh, aspects of friendship, of course, or um, any form of fear that you could imagine, even if it was very, you know, depicted as very childish and carefully sorted out that it wasn't too much for the viewer to bear. It still worked very well, and you could learn a thing or two from that show. And the imagination of everything was just tremendously well done. I loved all the stories about Sam Hain, the way he was depicted with the, you know the pumpkin head and all that. Um, and what what I found also quite interesting. First, it was a bit weird to me that they actually did that because, being a kid, you know the 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 thing is. When you're a child and you're looking at these heroes on TV, especially when it's about cartoons, stuff designed to entertain kids, to make money, of course. Um, what's interesting to us when, while we were children, something that I realize now more than I did back then, of course, is that you need adult role models to look up to, something that inspires you to become like them. It wasn't appealing to me to to watch cartoon characters that were supposed to be children just like myself. It was less believable because I didn't see a connection. I didn't know why I was watching it, so I switched it off. But looking at the Ghostbusters, they were young adults at best, maybe in their 30s, okay? And uh, they were saving the world and had all sorts of obstacles, but the show was designed to appeal mostly to children and and, and teenagers, I guess. And if I would have imagined I had to see the Ghostbusters as a child while watching children busting ghosts, that would have been boring within two episodes. Now, I know that during the show, I can't really remember what season that was, but they introduced young Ghostbusters, uh, I think, for an experiment to figure out. or well, Maybe they got forced to do it. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But they wanted to add children to the mix to appeal more to a vast majority of, 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 of the audience. Maybe, uh, you know, just showing adults was maybe not the right thing to do. But in hindsight, I think it was. Same goes for Transformers. The Transformers were not kids. They were adults. Of course they were robots, but they were all behaving like adults. They had all sorts of... You can't put children in a war zone with guns in their hands, even if they look like robots. It makes no sense. They have to be relatable to adults. They have to look like adults. They have to look like role models to look up to and not just some kind of dork. You know, from fifth grade who thinks he's got to save the world against Megatron and all that kind of bullshit. That would never work. So, um the episodes in Ghostbusters where they were depicting children, uh, smart little nerds who were working together with the Ghostbusters to maybe eventually become one of them sometime later. And they never did too many of these episodes, just a few. And as a child, when I watched that, I have to be honest, I didn't like it that much. It was a bit disturbing for me to see that. I just wanted to see my heroes and not the kids. And now, in hindsight, uh, not in hindsight, but let's say many years later, from my point of view now, seeing that Ghostbusters Afterlife is, is hitting the, the theater very soon, I know that, of course, kids or let's say teenagers are taking over or have to take over because, frankly, the Ghostbusters are being too old. And they waited all these years to actually get something going, and I'm, we can all be thankful that Bill Murray said, okay, uh, I'm going to do this movie. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, from what I saw on the Internet, i um, he seems to be uh, legitimately surprised and and happy about the the outcome of the movie. The story is great. Um, I trust his word on that because Bill Murray is very careful when he chooses a script uh, or makes a decision for a movie, and uh, he's usually right. And we, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get to that later. And there's a pretty good reason why. I think anybody who can count to three can actually understand his point of view. Um. Uh what was I saying? Oh yeah, right. Um, the kids. It makes sense now to do that because you don't have much of a choice to restart this franchise. the The 2016 Ghostbusters, like we all know, was a huge waste of time and a piece of trash. Now, anybody who loves that film, it's fine. You can. It's your movie. I don't give a shit. But it's not Canon. And it doesn't belong in the same universe. It's a different kind of Ghostbusters storyline. And um, it has no connection whatsoever to the original story. So I cannot really take that movie in for myself. I can't really respect the movie for what it is because Paul Feig did a very lousy job in creating this film. Um, It's like watching a Nintendo movie. It's not really watching a Ghostbusters film. It doesn't... It's not funny to me, it's not really exciting. I don't mind the female cast. It's just the the entire setup and execution of the movie is just not well done. It's just um, a a quick, you know, cash uh, cash cow, or a quick money money grab generated to pull in a new audience to something that's not even worth your money. So that's why I ditched that movie. And um in this movie here, there're Doing they they have to do the opportunity with a younger cast. They could have taken older people too, but for the sake of the story, um, you have to find a good way to tell that story to make it believable that new people around their 30s or maybe 20s, um, have some kind of connection to the Ghostbusters. But how and why, you know? Um, I think it was a wise choice to skip a generation and say that the grandchild of Spangler should be the one carrying the torch because she's smart enough to understand what's going on and to use Eon's wisdom and knowledge, which she probably will find during the movie, and not, well, not wisdom, but the knowledge for sure, and get behind the technology of how to use all these, these gizmos, the, the proton packs and how they work and all that kind of stuff, what you can do with a trap, what these ghosts actually are, that they cannot be destroyed, they have to be captured. You know, it's, it's an entity of energy. You can't kill or destroy energy. You can only convert it somehow. So trapping ghosts could be, a, you know, a, a bit more logical and plausible approach to this kind of, uh, this universe, to make it somehow logical. Just like zombies cannot run. They have to walk slow, you know. They're fucking dead. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, And if a ghost is haunting, you, you can't kill it. It cannot be killed. How? Not with a stake through the heart. It cannot be killed with, with by, by gunshot, not with electricity or anything like that. But you can trap it and force it into some kind of fake dimension that was created in the machine. That makes sense, you know. So um, I really enjoy that, that they're going back to the retro aspect of the original movies how everything started, how the technology was built and created between uh, Eon Spangler and um, and Ray Stans, and it really, you know, after all these years waiting for for a sequel, when I came back to Germany, Ghostbusters Two was running, and I got really excited, and I always wanted to see it, so I, of course, I went to theaters, I, I watched it. In its entirety, and I had to watch it in German. There was back then there was nobody interested in in you know listening to the original uh, version of a movie. It did happen at, at times, but you know right now it's it's more appealing to a lot of people to watch movies in its in their original form in English, in French, in Spanish, and Japanese than it ever was in the early '90s or let's say late '80s. And I remember in 1989, the movie came out. That was pretty much the time when I went back to Germany. And I had brief contact with uh, a couple of people in Canada, just by, um, by mail. And we lost contact. I have no idea if these people are still alive. I hope so. But, you know, you never know what happens in life. So when the movie came out and I watched it, I was amazed to see it, but even back then when I was younger, I did realize that this movie was just a money grab. Hmm. They used almost the exact same formula, like the first one, just to press out some more cash. Now, I have to be honest, I don't know exactly who got the idea. If it's Dan Aykroyd who had the idea... Man, I'm disappointed. Because, you know, Dan is a cool guy. As far as I'm concerned, he makes good good vodka. I haven't tried his product yet. Uh, it's Crystal Skull Vodka, by the way, created by Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, he bought a distillery and, you know, he, one of his goals was to make the cleanest, purest vodka that you could buy for money. And he claims that he achieved that. I always wanted to try it. And... Um, I might come around to to order a bottle and and just get it over with because I'm not really a vodka fan, but I just wanted to mention it in case you don't know about it and you like vodka, maybe this product is for you. I just pull my hat to Dan Aykroyd for actually doing that. And when it comes to movies, he's not exactly the biggest genius on the planet when it comes to a good screenplay or or just good ideas in general because The Ghostbusters is not alone his work. Actually, Harold Ramis did most of the work. And as far as I know, he wrote the story, Dan Aykroyd built in all the tech stuff, the paranormal facts, because he's a real junkie in this in this field, right? He's a total nerd about parapsychology and, and UFOs and all that stuff, which is cool, I like that. And the chemistry be- between both of them was so magnificent that they could create something that one alone could not probably not have pulled off. Harold was a genius in his own right, and I really am still sad today that he passed in 2014. That was a big shock for me to to hear that, and um, I was delighted to hear that finally, after all these years, after like you know the the 2016 reboot fiasco, we get someone like Jason Reitman to make a new film not just something new, but bring in the old cast, maybe one last time. For me personally, all I needed was one last one. It's not necessary for me to see the cast again in, you know, uh, three, four movies. But if they have a good script and they know how to to, to implement the characters in those movies, yeah, sure, go for it. Why not? But, you know, it has to be high quality here. I want to see Ghostbusters to live forever, as far as I'm concerned. With a new cast and, you know, this... The 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 people here uh, taking over. I think Paul. not no, Paul. Um, what's the what's in that? What's the guy's name again? Yes, of course it was Paul Rudd. How could I forget? I am so sorry. I'm looking forward to see him in that movie because I wasn't expecting him to be in there at all. Uh, personally, I think that David Duchovny was a good choice for a new Ghostbusters candidate. Because there was a movie, an alien movie, called Evolution that was done in, God, I don't know, sometime early 2000s, I think. And it was a flat comedy, you know, flat humor, dry humor, well done, in my opinion, very cool movie. Um, Not the biggest one on the box office, for sure, but it was well done. And they, they had David Duchovny play the main role, and they also had a guest appearance of Dan Aykroyd, and it, it felt to me, the way they behaved, he would have been a perfect choice to be a Ghostbuster. You know, like a like a rookie being trained by, uh, you know, Dr. Venkman and all the others. That would have been terrific. But, you know, sadly that never happened. We got Paul Rudd now, and Paul Rudd is doing a great job. I think he is, at least. Um, I can't picture him very well in this movie. I think he has uh, the perfect attitude. Um, he's... Sort of a laid-back guy. Um, I I think, you know, you you can't put someone like, let's say, Clint Eastwood in a Ghostbusters movie. That would make no sense. As a guest appearance, yes, but as a leading role, I'm not talking about his age here. I'm talking about his personality, his persona, the face, uh, the attitude he brings, and what he can play. He doesn't fit. You can't put Burt Reynolds in these movies. You cannot put... um, Uh, Bruce Willis in a Ghostbusters film. It wouldn't work, okay? Yet alone people like Nicolas Cage, for fuck's sake. But Paul Rudd is a good choice. So I trust Jason Reitman's instinct here and decision-making that, you know, he knew exactly who to cast and why. And like I said, making this this, uh, story about Spengler is important. And there is a human aspect to this because we as a fan or as fans, sorry. We never had a chance to say goodbye to Harold Ramis. And I personally, like I said before, I really adored his work. One of my favorite movies of all time is not just Ghostbusters, but The Groundhog Day. And that's a Harold Ramis movie, you know? And he did a great job. It's it's such a a refreshing movie. I rewatched it over and over again. I bought it on Blu-ray, on DVD, immediately when it came out. Because it's that good of a film. And it's a shame that, you know, between um, Bill Murray and Howard Ramis, I think they had a falling out of sorts. I'm not sure why, but I was told that it happened after the Groundhog film. Um, like I said, I'm not quite sure if, if I'm correct, if the information is true. But if that is the case, it's a shame. I'm not quite sure what was going on between those two. Um... I know from various sources that Bill Murray is difficult to work with sometimes or he used to be difficult to work with when he was younger. Right now, I think maybe he found more peace in his life, uh, if I can even say that. I've never met him in person, so I really can't judge. But um, from from what we know, um, he's a very interesting dude. Um, He has a solid state of mind, in my opinion and he makes interesting choices when it comes to movies he he looks at the value of a film if it has an um if it has a good script if it has emotional value in the movie if it has good content if the script actually is some sort of meaningful and fun to do or play with like a Wes Anderson movie you know or uh, the if, if you think about Sophia Coppola I think was her name right? She made the movie uh, Lost in Translation where Bill Murray was uh, almost got an Oscar. He, I think he lost it to Sean Penn but you know it, it, he was at least nominated for best leading role and my god he, he deserved it. You know, finally getting an Oscar. That movie was really great. It's also one of my absolute favorite movies with a fantastic soundtrack by the way and lost in translation was a very honest movie it wasn't it was a romance film yes but it wasn't cheesy it wasn't cheap it wasn't about sex even though it happened once in the movie and not with um whom you might expect you know if if you if you haven't seen the film watch it it's it's one of the, 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 the best uh, modern romance comedy movies I have ever seen, or dramas, let's say, with, uh, what's her name again? Fuck's sake, my memory is not good today. Yes, of course, Scarlett Johansson. God damn it, my brain is completely fucked today. I am so sorry. I should have known that. I own the movie too, because, you know, why not? I even, I even bought the soundtrack. Um, those two together, the chemistry here, is beautifully done. It's a romance that is believable, it's very honest, it's, it's, it's intimate in, in form of you know, verbal interaction, the way they treat each other, the way they see each other, the way they talk about life, and come closer. And it's never about sex between those two. It's really about a form of love that you haven't seen before on screen, I think. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful stories I've ever seen. And um, this is just one of those examples of why I think uh, Bill Murray did the right choice of pushing Ghostbusters way, way back. Because um, when we revisit the second movie, you have to admit it's the same formula. I'm not saying that Ghostbusters 2 was a bad film. I personally did like it, even though it was a letdown story-wise. But... um, I have a soft spot for these four guys coming back on, on, on the big screen. Seeing uh, Sigourney Weaver as well, although I'm not really too keen on her character in the movie, it's just one of these placeholders. You have to build them in because it's you know the same cast, and she's coming back to reprise her role in the, in the new movie as well, which I'm quite curious to see what happened. And um, seeing those, those guys as my heroes back on screen again having fun together doing some silly stuff and fighting ghosts and all that it's always a charm to see that even if like I said the movie doesn't really deliver what the first one could because it's just a copycat in the end uh, it's still nice to see those guys uh, in front of the camera again and just doing what they do best and during that time I remember Bill was really fed up with the movie with the script and he didn't want to do the film But he was bound by contract, so, you know, uh, there's nothing really you can do about that. And to not be a complete asshole, he probably made uh, made the decision to stick with the film, to shoot the fucking thing, and be done with it once and for all. Now, when the third film was supposed to happen, many scripts were passed and tossed around. And Bill was, to my knowledge, never really convinced to actually do another film. He said, it has to be really good. The script has to be good. And in in his uh, sarcastic way of, of, of being judgmental about certain things or just expressing his opinion about a thing like that, is he's only going to return to the movie if he gets killed off and comes back as a ghost or not at all. Stuff like that, you know. Um, I think... Dan Aykroyd knows how to deal with his humor and his his opinion, of course, and he has to respect that. He never talks bad about Bill. Uh, He just says, well, you know, he is like that. He does this, he does that, but he never talks negatively about him. Just very, in his own way, objective about his behavior and his decision-making about which project to follow and star in or, you know, what job to take and whatnot. And... To be honest, I think Bill made a right choice there. Because making a third film, it had to be something really spectacular in order to keep the franchise fresh enough and interesting for many generations to come. Because it's like with these, if you compare it to these cheap horror films that have happened over the years, mostly the first one is always the best. Then comes part two, which, you know, it's kind of of meh. You know, you you expected more. Because you wanted the same sensation and experience like in the first film, but you ne- you're never going to get there. Um, not everyone can produce a Terminator 2. You know, that's just a fact. You have to deal with the consequences. If you're really good, if you're a genius in movie making, I think you can pull it off and make a great, fantastic sequel or even more sequels. I mean, some people claim that George Romero did his best work in Dawn of the Dead in c- uh, comparison to Night of Living Dead, right? Um, they still hold up that movie extremely high as one of the best horror films ever made. I don't want to argue against that. I, personally, George Romero is also one of my absolute heroes. And um, I, I think I understand what the people are saying about it, about that. But if you compare it to, let's say, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street, part two, part three. Well, three was good. Part one is just fantastic. Part two is like, what the fuck is going on? You know, everybody has a gay vibe now in this movie and they didn't even realize it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch them in the film and then you, you understand. Um, Friday the 13th, yeah, well, you know, part two was, I didn't like it. The potato sack, Jason, what the fuck is that? Part three was really boring for me personally, but you get the hockey mask. Part four, I liked a bit more, but I'm not really overwhelmed by it. Tom Savini's work is great, special effects guy. All wonderful, but it's the same premise again, you know, just the backwood slasher thing. I like it, but the idea overall has to be there. And part four is not really a gem, in my opinion. It's just one of these movies. Part six was a gem. And uh, Hellraiser part two was, I think, just as good, even better than part one. That's one of those exceptions, because, you know, Clive Barker knows his own stuff. So uh, I can't make any jokes about that. This, Clive Barker is just really good. And, you know, Halloween, yeah, that's a bit tricky. The first one I did like, but I can't rewatch it again today. It's, it's yeah, After half an hour, I have to switch it off. It's just, I love the film, but I can't watch it again. I love the, I love the franchise. I think the latest Halloween movies are just, uh, I think they're really well done and they deserve a lot of credit. But um, the second one was, I think, more interesting development-wise when it comes to Michael Myers. But that's a different story. Anyway, Ghostbusters Part 1, superb movie. Part 2, yeah, well, we got there. We talked about that. And then comes Bill Murray and says, yeah, Part 3, like, you know, he almost behaved like he was saying, only over my dead body. And... One of those ideas were used and scrapped from filmmaking and used for the video game that was released. And that was the first time and the last time, sadly, that we hear all four together recording for, uh, for those dialogues in the video game. That was the last time we heard uh, Harold Ramis reprise his role as Egon Spangler. And I'm not sure if they sat together in, in a, a recording booth. I don't think so. Uh, probably they, they met, perhaps, and talked about the project. Um, it's a delight to actually hear uh, Bill Murray speak the lines of good old Peter Venkman in that video game. And I still play it today, just for the, for, for the heck of it, to listen to these guys. And now that we're you know, heading forward in time and we're, we're, we got this horrible reboot film... It's incredible to see that um, they didn't want to waste the Ghostbusters franchise to some idiotic idea that they tried and give it new life with a proper storyline, staying in the same universe, making a real proper sequel to the legacy of the Ghostbusters and the legacy of uh, Dr. Egon Spengler. And I'm really looking forward to that. And one thing I can promise you is I, I heard, I, I didn't want to spoil myself the movie and the plot. I can't understand what's going on. I think I know it's about Gozer and all that crap. It's my, just my, my assumption that uh, Dr. Spangler knew that there was something going on on that farm site and he moved there you know, to prepare for something and then he tragically, uh, sadly died. And um, at the end of the film, I was told... Uh, Like I said, there is no spoiler about uh, the movie itself. I think uh, the main premise is something we can all understand and get behind. But um, once the movie is told, you will see a short homage and dedication to Harold Ramis in the movie. And I swear to God, if that happens and I see that, um, I, I don't think I can keep my eyes dry. I will be crying like a baby in the theater when I see that. And... I don't care. I have to see it. It's beautiful. I think this is really tremendously respectful. To give this man so much credit, to honor him in this movie in such a way is, is beautifully done. Uh, it shows a lot of respect. I think uh, Ivan Reitman has raised a cool son in this regard, that he would actually do that. And it's just respectful also to the fans. I mean, these are the guys paying for the film. We lay out good money to buy this shit, to have a good time, to escape from reality and watch something that we grew up with because it's fun. So why, you know, why in the fuck do we have to deal with people like Paul Feig and just ruining everything, <laughs> just making stuff their own and ignoring the legacy, ignoring the original style and, and, and artistic view of the film and just do some crazy shit. I just don't understand it. Ah, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's the beauty of being surprised every now and then by, by the movie industry. Sometimes they can release a title that is worth waiting for. Sometimes you can walk into a theater and be pleasantly surprised, and other times you're just super, super disappointed in an idea that someone had that isn't worth anything. But in this case, you know, the question remains for a lot of people, should I be interested in the Ghostbusters film? Do I need to watch it? Well, you don't really need to watch it, but why wouldn't you? I mean, this is maybe the last chance we're going to get to see the original cast in the final act of the movie. As far as I know, we see them only in the final act. I'm not sure if the information is accurate, but... It's of course understandable that um, the young cast are supposed to be the main protagonists of, of the film. Um, I think um, I have to look that up again. I don't. Ha- I haven't memorized all the names here, of the cast. But what I'm looking forward to is well, Paul Rudd, for one part. Um, I think quite highly of McKenna Grace, who plays Phoebe, the uh, granddaughter of Spengler, because I think she's a perfect pick for that role. And she um, she seems to be a very talented young actress. It's, I'm not sure what else she's going to do in the future, but that is a promising, uh, let's say, soldier of the movie industry. You never know what to expect here, but um, acting-wise, I think she is she's a bright star in the future. Uh, Finn Wolfhard uh, playing Trevor. I'm not sure what to think of him. I haven't really followed Stranger Things all that much. I know there's an episode where he gets dressed up as a Ghostbuster, and I think it's cool. I have to admit I've never watched it. I haven't even watched the rest of the first season. I just watched like midway through, and then I stopped for some reason. I never catched up on it. Maybe I should because people keep telling me it's a great show. Oh, yeah, and of course, Ernie Hudson is back. The one and only Winston Zedmore, who was a bit underdeveloped in the first film. He was like a solution to be implemented because somebody said they wanted to have a black uh, uh, actor in the movie as well, otherwise it would be just too white. Well, they have a point there. So Ernie Hudson became a household name in the Ghostbusters franchise, will always be remembered as the cool guy the, uh, the heart and the guts of the Ghostbusters, um, he became a bit more, uh, he had a more significant role in the second one, became, of course, much more interesting, fleshed out as a character in, in the cartoons, just like everyone else. But I was told that Ernie Hudson has a, uh, a more carrying function in this film. He, ha- he has some interesting screen time with the rest of the cast, Carrie Coon is also a wonderful pick, I think. um I'm not sure how well she's gonna be in the movie, but I think there's nothing really negative to say about anything of this. Logan Kim, that kid who does a podcast in in this movie, I think um I don't know much about him either. I think that this is his first uh big role. In, in any movie. I think he hasn't been doing anything in the film industry before that. Um, don't really care much about it. Any Potts is back in the movie as Janine Melnitz. You know, whatever happens. I always thought that Janine and, and, and Egon were going to be a couple one day. It was always the premise somehow in the first movie. In the second one, it was instead, you know, she became like the girlfriend of Rick Moranis, you know, being the, um, ah, fuck, what was his name again? Tully? Um, Yeah, that was a pretty um, funny thing to do, but mm, I'm not sure what happened in the meantime. I'd like to know when Egon got, got married and who that person really was. I'm curious to see that and how everything came to be after you know the Ghostbusters went apart after the second movie. Um, that's really interesting, and I really hope they did a good job in in, in writing a, just a, an emotional, caring story for all remaining Ghostbusters, what happened to them and what they're doing. I think Dan Aykroyd playing Ray Stanz, he's still sitting in his, his bookshop, his esoteric bookshop, selling all sorts of stuff to wannabe wizards and whatnot. You know, that that could be fun. I think there's even a scene in one of the trailers where he picks up the phone and says, we're closed. That's kind of cool, you know, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, anyway, um, to keep it short, um, I don't want to dwell too much on the storyline. Um, I want to be surprised by the rest of the movie, which I haven't... Which I have no clue really what's going to happen. I can only assume that it's about an old premise from the first movie that probably Gozer has something to do with building up a second portal to you know get revenge at those wannabe gods from the first movie. I hope that line will be used again one day or in one scene where you know, maybe Winston says, yeah, you can bet your ass we're gods or something like that and just, you know, blows, goes or back to whatever universe it came from. If that really is the case. But I've seen in the latest trailer, there's actually a scene where you can see four streams from each side shooting at a portal in the ground trying to close it maybe. I don't know. I hope it's not really what's going to happen in the final act of the film. I hope they do something else, not just, you know, shooting at something and hope that it explodes. Um, or a total protonic reversal of some sort, whatever that means. (laughs) Um, Crossing the streams might be an option, but I don't really want to see that again. I just, I want to see something new, something different that the Ghostbusters need to do to close the gate for good. Whatever that is, uh, it can be a little bit scientific, maybe a little bit spaced out. Maybe something that the granddaughter Phoebe, interprets from early work from her grandfather and understands what needs to be done to send Gozer back to where uh, he, he or it came from. That could be an idea. That could be an answer. But that's just me guessing. I have no idea. I'm just, I'm really curious. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to get my, my seat in a theater somewhere out there, the one that is hopefully playing Ghostbusters in its original English form. I do not want to hear these guys in German, for sure. If I have to, well, then okay. But I don't want to. I want to, have, I want to enjoy that moment and just be one with the universe, saying goodbye to Harold Ramos. That's what I want to do. So I'm very uh, excited about this. I'm looking forward to it. I have bought even a Lego model off the car of the original Ecto-1, in this version of the film anyway. I haven't assembled it yet. I don't know when I'm going to do that. Too busy with other, other stuff. I don't want to play around with Lego, but I bought one for myself. And a second one, just in case I destroy the first one. Anyway, um, i got to stop now. I have to get back to work and do something. I, um, I'm always glad that somebody tunes in and listens. I know there's someone watching me here and getting back to my shit. Whoever you are, I salute you. Hope you're having a great time. And to everyone else who's listening, um, thanks for tuning in. I hope that you stay safe and stay healthy. Enjoy your life as much as you can. The sun is still shining for us. I don't know for how long, but hopefully long enough. I'm looking forward to this film. Maybe you are too. Maybe you're excited about it just as much as I am. Maybe even rebuying the old toys, which I, to be honest, I actually did. (laughs) I can't help myself. It's just so much fun. So tune in next time whenever I'll be back and um, take care of each other, okay? Hang in there, guys. Have fun over and out.